Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business and More. Today we're going to talk about negotiating. Lots of books have been written about the topic. Some business schools schedule a whole seminar of classes in it. And every business owner needs to know about it. For that matter, everyone who inhales and exhales on a regular basis needs to know about it because just about every day requires us to negotiate in some fashion or another. When you make a decision to buy something, in a very real way, that's a negotiation. You simply agreed to the price because the seller provided you with what you wanted at a price you were willing to pay. So in its purest sense, negotiation is nothing more than two parties finding a way to come to agreement that ends up in a deal. Today we're going to keep that simple definition in mind because in spite of all the whoop-de-doo about the subject, that's all there is to it. And it's only the misconceptions about it that complicate it. Years ago I built a whole library of books that covered the topic. The concept of the day was how to win at negotiating. Winning was the watchword. And all of the emphasis and the wisdom passed on to readers was on techniques to get the upper hand in the process. Chapters in such books dealt with such things as your state of mind and how to put your opponent into a state of mind that would give you the advantage. I can remember suggestions for how you should plan seating at the table, why you should seek to have the venue yours instead of your opponent's, how you should plan the seating so you could intimidate your opponent. For example, you were supposed to be sure to sit so the light would be in your opponent's eyes instead of yours. Someone even suggested that you sit in a more comfortable chair and one that was a little higher than your opponent so you could look down on him or her and be more intimidating, but not so high that it was obvious. Other chapters talked about the research you should apply to your opponent so you could learn about possible weak points that you could subtly inject into the process and put him or her off guard. Opposition research, if you will. And of course, if you were in a negotiation that revolved around financial matters, which most, of course, did, you should learn what you could about the opponent's financial condition need or desire for what you were proposing and his or her ability to pay for it. In other words, how badly did they want what you had and how much did you have a chance of getting it? Then one day a new concept came on the scene that changed it all. And that new concept was win-win negotiation. While the words are in common use today, the concepts behind them have not caught up with the name. Many are still mired down in the old school and still believe that in order for them to be successful in a negotiation, someone has to lose. And for that reason, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today will deal with how you can convert such a confrontation into one that will benefit not just you, but both of you, in spite of the mindset of the person you're trying to cut a deal with. The first thing you need to do is stop viewing the person you're going to negotiate with as an opponent. You can't very well have a happy outcome when you're trying to get the best of him or her and he or she's trying to do the same. Negotiating today is not a game where there are winners or losers. It's a situation where each of you has something to gain and each of you should want the other to achieve or obtain it. 
not at the expense of the other, but with the support of the other. This goes back to the fundamentals of value that we've spoken about so often. When we talked about money, we defined it not as something that benefits you. We spoke of it as a token received for the value of whatever it was that you were providing someone else. Without that someone else in a transaction in which money changes hands, that token would be valueless. For the same reason, the person you're negotiating with must have something of value to you and vice versa. So in order for you to satisfy your needs or desires through a negotiation, you must also provide something of value to the other. Opponents don't pay much attention to the value received by the other party. They're pretty much interested in only in what they get. It doesn't matter whether the negotiation is for a price to be paid or received for an object or service, or it's a negotiation about something more difficult to put your arms around, like where a property line falls between your property and another. Closer to home, it could be a negotiation between you and your spouse about which movie or TV show to go watch. Any circumstance where you have a different opinion and it must be worked out between you and another party becomes a negotiation, and regardless of how trivial or critical the consequence is, the principles are the same. It simply doesn't pay to regard the person you're dealing with as an opponent. You can say what you like about our current president, but not on this podcast. However, the one thing you have to give him is that he's a damn capable negotiator, and the other thing that's undeniable that he always speaks well about the person he's negotiating with, even to making the comment that he likes and respects him or her and that he or she is a good person, just doing their job representing the interest of the people they represent as conscientiously as he's trying to do. So your first task as a good negotiator is to rise above any personal feelings about the person you're negotiating with that can cloud your ability to recognize that rather than being an opponent, They're simply doing their best to obtain what they want, even if it's not for a country or a family, but for themselves. Nothing wrong with that. Aren't you doing the same thing? Don't prejudge the person by what they're wearing, how they look, what you know about who they represent, if anyone or anything else. Just assume that they're as eager as you are to come to a conclusion that will give them what they want, and at the same time will do the same for you. That has to be your starting position. Assume that you're negotiating with someone who is no smarter or no dumber than you. A lot's been said about knowing in advance what you'll settle for. Some of those books I spoke about before recommend that you consider more than one outcome. What you want, what you expect, and what's the least you'll settle for. Certainly you should go into a negotiation knowing what your best outcome would be, but as you'll see, there's no way you can figure out in advance what you'll settle for because you have no way of considering all possible options. There are simply too many variables, some of which you have no reason to consider yet, for you to try to forecast them all. Why is that? It's because this is a creative process that as a capable win-win negotiator, you can lead the other party to access. That come up with one or another out-of-the-box possibilities you may well discover together during the negotiation. So, okay, it's fine to speculate and see what you can dream up ahead of time, but without the collaborative input of the other party, it's really kind of a waste of time. 
Let's take a short break and come back in a minute to talk about the next step. Did you know that you have access to a personal mentor to help you with your business issues? Whether you're starting a new business or trying to improve the way an existing business runs, you'll find them at SCORE.org. This is the website for SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. It's an arm of the U.S. Small Business Administration and consists of thousands of volunteers in more than 300 cities across the United States. And the best part is that their services are offered at no cost to you. At SCORE.org, you can enter your zip code and find a list of local mentors, each showing his or her areas of expertise. And you can schedule your own appointment at a convenient time and location. SCORE also offers a variety of regular workshops presented by professionals in their fields. You can see a current schedule of those events and pre-register on the spot. Some general classes are offered free of charge, while others have a modest fee, which is usually discounted for pre-registration. Check it out! SCORE is the place to go to find someone whose experience may be just what you need. So you're ready for the next step. Understand the difference between issues and positions. A capable negotiator needs to be able to recognize the difference when he or she sees it. Issues are important. They're not to be compromised. They're based on the core values of both participants and should be rigorously defended. Positions, on the other hand, are the actions or points of view that each participant often plants in the ground because they don't recognize they are positions and not issues, cause the friction and provide the obstacles to successful negotiation. To recognize the difference, you need to explore first what you're holding out for to see if it's really what's important to you. Let's say, for example, you're in a dispute between you and your neighbor. He's built a fence on property that you believe is yours and he claims is his. Your position is that he's done something wrong and that he's intruded on your property and is, by building the fence, staking a claim on it. His position, of course, is that he's done nothing wrong. That property is and always has been his and that he's well within his rights to put the fence there. Arguments like this have caused terrible acrimony between good neighbors, some of them even resulting in violence. So how can you take the vitriol and misery out of the equation? Well, the same thing goes for disputes about breach of contract disputes, all the way to the angst it causes when a teenage daughter wants to go out in clothes that are more suggestive than they should be. Of course, that kind of dispute is less likely to result in violence, but it can still cause considerable agony on one side or another. Yet all disputes need to be resolved amicably. So what's the key? To participate in a successful negotiation, you as the one who is enlightened enough to take the lead have only one job, and that is to capitalize on all the reasons why the process should not intrude on a comfortable and respectful relationship between you and the other party. Nothing should keep you from capitalizing on that relationship to work together to seek a solution that will be good for both parties. Your objective is to convert a potential opponent into a partner. You'll need to persuade him or her to sit on the same side of the table with you instead of sitting on opposite sides. That way you can both look at the problem and use your collective intellects working together to discover positions that will preserve the sanctity of the issues that each holds dear while still being comfortable to the other. Paramount to that point of view has got to be the ability to genuinely walk in the other's shoes. 
to understand why the issues are important to him or her, and to focus most of your attention on that. As with a sales situation, where you focus on the value of what you're selling to the other party instead of what you'll get out of it, this has the same result. The outcome definitely has some value to the other party, even if it's not necessarily financial. And if you're capable of discovering how the outcome can affect the other party's well-being, it's that posture that entitles you to expect the same treatment from your collaborator. The trick here is building bridges. In most negotiations, both sides start with positions, and all too often, they try to find ways to preserve those positions while the other side does the same thing. What a waste of time and effort. It offers opportunities for guile and deceit. That exercise breeds frustration, and it shuts off just the creative and constructive thought required to resolve the issue. Worst of all, the effort to preserve positions causes acrimony, a breakdown in communication, and the ultimate failure of the negotiation to have a satisfactory conclusion. In a word, it produces a loser, someone who has to yield, to give in, to compromise principles or sacrifice issues, and definitely an unhappy camper. The bridges we build have to have their bases on both sides of the chasm between and often, at the start, that chasm is much too wide to bridge in an instant. So there has to be an effort to create a span from each side of that chasm that comes closer to the other. And the key to that process is a single word. And that word is why. As I said earlier, it's important to distinguish between positions and issues. So your first application of the keyword is within yourself. Ask yourself why the position you're taking is important to you, and then come up with an answer. If you then ask yourself why that answer is important to you and can still come up with another answer that doesn't reach down to your basic principles that are and should be immutable, then ask yourself why again, and keep doing it until you get to the point where you can explain your issue satisfactorily with an answer that the other party should be able to easily understand and agree with if he were in your shoes. It takes a lot longer to talk about this process than it does to actually do it. Once you've done the mental work required to build your side of the bridge, your objective is to learn as much as you can about the other party, to learn about his issues and what makes them important to him. Again, if you're talking, you're not learning anything. So the trick is to try to understand the one you're seeking to come to an agreement with. So, just as you did for yourself at the outset, you need to learn enough about the other party's needs and you're going to set out to go through the same process with him by walking in his shoes, asking him why the position he's taking is important, and keep doing it tactfully and pleasantly until you reach the point where you can easily understand and relate to his motives and issues and why they're based on principles that you would support if you were he. The result is that you now have created something in common. You've built the bridge that will give you the ability to explore options together that will meet the needs of both without compromising the basic issues on which you can both agree. Where there are obstacles, it's often possible to agree on ways to resolve differences that don't depend on one's ability to persuade or bully the other into accepting them. 
If you reach an impasse, you can seek someone with the authority that you can both agree to accept. For example, when it comes to that property line, you can depend upon a survey that's been properly executed and amicably accept the result, and then together explore the benefits that a fence in that location would benefit both. This is where collaborative, creative thought comes to the rescue, and you still end up friends and celebrate over that back fence with a cold beer. You can find a way to use these principles in every case where there's a dispute. They have potential to take all the sting out of potentially nasty situations and turn them into collaborative efforts that are even fun for both parties to undertake if they understand the ground rules to begin with. And it's your job as a leader who knows these rules to make them clear and enjoy the pleasure of strengthening relationships like winning teams do. (laughs) 